Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us once again. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. We only have 20 minutes, so let's begin. The Bible says the Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This, of course, means that God has delayed the coming of the end times in order to give the whole world the most amount of time to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Right? Well, that's what many are teaching, but as we'll see, that's not exactly what the verses mean. So let's move on now and listen to the full passage of Scripture. A reading from the Apostle Peter's second letter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 and 8 and 9. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That was 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and 8 and 9. The common interpretation of these verses is what we mentioned earlier, Jordan. The reason it has been so long since Jesus died, the reason of the second coming hasn't happening yet, is because God is merciful, and He wants to give as many lost people as possible the opportunity to accept Jesus and be saved from hell. All of that may be true, but the problem with that interpretation is this passage is not about unsaved people. So join us now. Let's use the space method to see this more clearly. And again, for all of our new listeners, if you haven't listened to us before, SPACE is just an acronym that we created to remind Bible students to consider a few things. Number one, who the speaker is, SP, the audience, A, and the context, C, before attempting an explanation, E. There's S-P-A-C-E. So let's use this today on the scripture reading. The speaker here is the Apostle Peter. Jordan, tell us a little bit about Peter. Sure, Andy. You know, Peter was the first disciple chosen by Jesus. Uh, He famously confessed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Uh, He defended the gospel before the Sanhedrin. He was key in doing that. He preached the first Christian sermon at Pentecost. I mean, the point is that he writes with the full authority of an apostle, which is a translation, a messenger, a representative of Jesus Christ himself. 
And like all Bible authors, of course, he wrote under inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, which is 2 Timothy 3.16, if you need a reference for that. Okay, great. Also, we know that the audience here are people who are already saved, and there's a couple points here. And this is critical. It becomes obvious when you notice this one word Peter keeps repeating, and we see it first in verse 1, and it goes, this is now beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, and highlight that word beloved. Verse 8, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing beforehand. So obviously, you know, he's addressing them with love in his heart. And then we're going to talk about that now. Um, Jordan, explain to us in the Greek what that word beloved actually means. Yeah, so in the original language that the Bible was written in, Koine Greek, that word is agapitas, and that derives from a a word that we all know pretty well. You may have even heard um, it from the pulpit. You know, this word agape, or agape is the correct emphasis in the Greek. And you know, there are four words for love in Greek, and we bring this up because, again, you know, we, we read the Bible in English, translated into English, and there are so many things that English can't capture with regard to the richness of the Koine, the New Testament Greek language. For example, when you see the word love in the Bible, it could be one of four different words, and they all have different meanings. So, right, so like the word love in English is very subjective, depending on what the right. context is, where in the Greek, it's right. more detailed and finite, it's more objective. And, you know, the Lord uses specific variations of love to, to explain to us what his point is. Yeah, great point. So, you know, I might say to you, my, my brother in Christ, I love you. You mm-hmm. know, that, that's different. I, you know my meaning is different kind of love than when I turn to my wife and say, hey, honey, I love you, right? We, we get that from context and flexion yeah. and just knowing things. But in the Greek, they're very dis- different, distinct words. And not being able to travel back in time and understand the, live the context of what was being spoken you can go into the Greek that it has that sort of um, ability where you can go down and find a different, a nice little different word there. So there are four words for love in Greek. There's eros, which is, uh, you know, desire or sexual love. The erotic, that's where you get the word erotic from. There's starge, which means uh, familial love, like how you love your brother or sister. Um, there's philea, which um, means more like a friendship type of love. Actually, a uh, correction. So starge would be more like a general familial love. Whereas Philea, where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that word from, that mean, that has that sense of a brotherly love, like, for example, David loved Jonathan, right? That, that kind of a love. And then there's this agape, which is the highest level of unconditional love, the love that parents have for their, for their baby children or their right. children in general. Right. And then most importantly, that's what's used to describe God's love for us. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He's not using, you know, Philadelphia. He's not using Philea. He's using agape. Do you love me unconditionally? Yeah, so in these instances, Peter is calling his audience agapetas to remind them that they are the ones that God loves so much that he sacrificed his only son, right? right? So by saying beloved, he's saying, hey, those who are beloved to the point of agape love, that Jesus died for you. So it's an important point that you know we want our listeners, we want you guys to know. And more to the point, it reminds us that he's speaking to save people. And of course, you might ask, well, who exactly? Well, Scripture shows us in 1 Peter 1.1 that these are members of the churches scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. As for the context, Andy, what was going on at the time that Peter wrote these letters? Well, a couple points here, Jordan. The churches were dealing with a big external threat, but at the same time, a big internal threat. Number one, the external threat, the outside threat, persecution under the evil Emperor Nero. If you know your history back then, you'll 
You know this to be true. Nero made Christians scapegoats for failures of his own reign. Yeah, I, when I was uh, doing some background research for this lesson, you know, I saw the History Channel has a good explanation of it. It says, in July of 64 AD, a great fire ravaged Rome for six days, and it destroyed 70% of the city and left half of its population homeless. So this was a massive, massive fire. And according to a well-known expression, you know, Rome's emperor Nero fiddled while Rome burned. I mean, that, that's a little bit of a myth, but that's a famous historical thing, you know, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Anyway, the point being that it was a massive fire, it did so much damage, people were homeless, it destroyed the city, and Nero, rather than taking the blame for being the cause of his own corrupt reign causing that fire, he turned around and he blamed the Christians, who were at that time an obscure new religious sect for the fire, and he had many of them arrested and executed. He was, he was a true dictator in that sense, like find a scapegoat, make a big show, arresting them, executing them. And this kicked off a huge amount of persecution of Christians, and it gave rise to this anti-Christian sentiment in Rome that's very similar to the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe uh, in modern times, you know, where, where Jews were blamed for social ills. That, of course, led to these things called pogroms, which is a word for a massacre of an ethnic group. And, of course, the ultimate pogrom was Kristallnacht that led into the Holocaust. So if you, if you know anything about you know, World War II history and you have a sense of how that went down, it's a very similar type of a thing here way back in history with how Nero scapegoated the Christians. Yeah, so moving on, Jordan, there was some internal threats as well, like I mentioned earlier, and there were false teachings amongst the Christians here. One of them, there was a sect called Gnosticism, and Peter called them, quote-unquote, destructive heresies and spoke of harsh consequences that God had prepared for these people. And, you know, to relate to today, think of rich televangelists. I mean, I'm sure that every one of us at some time or another have read about or studied or even watched on YouTube or TV how people have from the pulpit taken advantage of Christians for their own self-gain. Yeah, it's using the word of God for profit, which we see multiple times in the Bible, stories about that and, and how harshly that was dealt with, and also even into modern times today, you know, where people are using God, the, the authority of God or the, the word of God to make them enrich themselves. Yeah, and unfortunately, um, again, this is my opinion, but there is a modern heresy today of how from the pulpit, people are, are using what they call doctrine as trying to tell their congregation, that salvation can be lost. So it's kind of like using this fear, a non-biblical fear, to make people kind of stay into church, and possibly for the reason of them continuing to, you know, fill up their donation dishes so that they can continue to grow the church and so on and so forth. So, well, you know, here's a question, Jordan. Well, why is this heresy so bad? Well, you know, we, we can see it clearly in Second Peter 2.17, where he says that the blackness of darkness or black darkness has been reserved for these false teachers. And, you know, what is the black darkness or blackness of darkness? It's not hell, again, because once, you, once you're saved, you can't be unsaved. And we, we assume that um, these, um, these false teachers are at least uh, spirit-saved. But, you know, it's a place of punishment for unbelievers, and it's beyond even the ones that we've talked about. It's a place of severe punishment for believers. It's beyond the outer darkness. And, and the question that arises, Andy, is why? Why, why even have this place? Well, it's because God doesn't take it lightly when a carnal Christian, and that's what these, these false teachers are, assume the responsibility of leadership to lead his flock, and then they use that for corruption, for corrupt purposes. Okay. So there is actually levels, just like there's levels of reward, there are levels of punishment. As we get into the third chapter of Second Peter, Peter points out two important things. First, God's perception of time is much different than ours because he's outside of time. 
And then secondly, what we perceive as God acting slowly is actually God being merciful. Yeah, and we'll talk more about these points in a moment. So now we know the speaker audience in context, we get to the E, explanation. I like to break these verses down one by one, and I'll, and I'll start, Andy, with 2 Peter 3, 3 to 4. It says, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So this reference might remind you of an Old Testament story, which is where the Apostle Peter is going. Let's continue with verses 5 and 7. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So the Apostle Peter is using this mocking as an example of what we imagine was going on at the time of Noah before the earth was destroyed by water. And that actually may be where this whole idea of, um, you know, if you've ever seen a movie about Noah or whatever, listen to the old Sunday school stories, they're like people making fun of Noah for building his ark. And that's not actually in the Old Testament account at all. It's not in the Bible. But I think people get that idea from what the uh, Apostle Peter is saying here. And, And then he makes this analogy to fire. So here's a question, Jordan. You know, what does it mean that by the word of God, the heavens existed and the earth was formed. You know, what does this tell us about how the world will end? Well, if we look at Colossians 1, 15 to 17, it reads, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we see here, based on these verses, Jordan, that Jesus is the force that binds. He's the universal atom structure that keeps everything together. And if you could imagine this, I mean, if he were to release that force, you'd have to assume that these atoms would obviously fly apart, which would be obviously major destruction. And possibly this could lead to what we might conceive today as being a nuclear explosion. I mean, there's always that point. Yeah, Pastor Ripple sort of had this theory about that when the Apostle Peter is talking about the earth ending in fire, that what it might mean is nuclear destruction. And he said, you know, obviously, you know, he grew up in the time of nuclear annihilation and that being a major concern in the United States with Russia and all that stuff. But he also went on to explain that if you think about it, if Jesus Christ is the force that binds all the atoms of the universe together, and he were to release that force just by his word or his will, well, what exactly is an atom bomb after all but a releasing of the unbinding of the atom? So he kind of had this cool way of connecting that little passage of Peter's letter with this idea of a nu- nuclear devastation or nuclear holocaust. Yeah, very good points. And, and, you know, in case you caught this lesson in the middle, we're not saying that there's going to be a nuclear war and that's how the world's going to end. Right. What we're saying is that Jesus has the entire universe in the palm of his hands and he's keeping everything together. And if he was to, if he wanted to end things, all he'd have to do is kind of let go and everything would just kind of dissipate. So moving on, 2 Peter 3.8. We're going to read that. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. And Jordan, this echoes Psalm 90 verse 4, coincidentally also talks about a thousand years here in a little different light, but it reads, for a thousand years in your sight, Lord, are like yesterday when it passes by, or as just a watch in the night. 
So you see there, you know, another supporting verse that a thousand years to man is like only a day to God. Yeah, and I just want to make one point. If you kind of line up the seven days of creation with the uh, with this concept, you get that seventh day of rest, one day, a thousand years, and we know that the millennial kingdom, which is the ultimate day of rest in, in biblical prophecy, will be for a thousand years. So there's some synergies there and some perhaps some deeper stuff to probe in your own personal studies when you get to this concept of a day in a thousand years. Okay, so as we move on to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it reads, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. A couple key points, Jordan? Yeah, remember the you is the ones that Peter called beloved. That's the key point for today, right? This is talking to saved people. Peter would not be telling those he called beloved they could possibly go to hell. Obviously not. It's also supported by the phrase, come to repentance. We know that lost people, unsaved people, can't repent. And we've discussed this before. Repent means to turn back. You're on the right path. You got off the path, turn back onto the right path again. So he can't be speaking to unsaved people here. And that raises the question, Andy, but what about that word perish, right? Peter writes, God is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish. Doesn't perish mean go to hell? Well, that's what most people kind of skimming through the Bible automatically assume. But like we spoke earlier, we definitely need to look at the details in Scripture of the Greek especially. So perish can mean to lose one's life, but it cannot mean to lose one's salvation. And you might ask, well, why not? Because number one, we have assurance. We have that guarantee because of what Jesus Christ did alone on the cross of Calvary. You know, Jesus said in Scripture in John 10, 27 to 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, just notice that he says they will never perish. Yeah, it's the same Greek word, apollome, that we find in 2 Peter 3, 9 that we just heard. So does it make sense that the Apostle Peter would contradict Jesus and his promise of assurance? No, of course not. So let's go deeper and stick with this idea that perish means to lose one's life, because it's going to be useful to us, right? Jesus used the word life to mean something different than we're thinking about here. He used it to mean spiritual life. For example, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes in only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. So we see that there is eternal life, which is spirit salvation. And then there is this age lasting life or life in the kingdom, which we call soul salvation. Yeah. So to kind of draw a picture for everyone, there's three parts to the makeup of man. You have your spirit, you have your soul, and you have your body. Now, obviously, we all know, barring the rapture, that everyone is going to be born and eventually going to die one day. That's your body, right? That's one-third of, of the man-made trinity, if you will. And then there's the spirit, which is our entity. It's the fact that we were created. It's the word pneuma we get from, from that word spirit, and it's God breathed life into us, into a pile of dust, you could say. And that's something that, because God created, will absolutely last forever. And then there's the soul which is the word suke, which is the same word for blood. And that represents our personality, our style of life, the choices we make, um, you know, what paths we take. And because we know that our spirit is saved because of what Jesus Christ did, now we have to 
by following the word of God, by, you know, trying to continually staying away from sin, confessing our sins, walking the straight and narrow path so that we can have this daily cleansing, walking a pure life, and of course, sharing the gospel to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone we come across, you know, comes across our path. So the point I'm trying to make is that you've got the everlasting life, which is a spiritual life. But then there's also the seventh day, this the 7,000 year in God's timeline for man, where there's going to be life on earth with Jesus Christ if our soul is being saved daily, if we're willing to to walk that straight and narrow path, live righteously. Yeah, Andy, and just to sum everything up, because we have to go, we're out of time. We've already established that eternal life can't be lost. So we must be talking about kingdom life here in Second Peter. And let's read it again, 2 Peter 3, 9, understand it now. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, and that means to soul perish or lose their life in the kingdom, but for all to come to repentance, to turn back from their sinful ways and have the chance to live in the kingdom, the future kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes left for Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later, or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in on our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any question you might have. We do have a growing Facebook community as well and a discussion forum. While you're on the site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added to the site. And when you sign up for our email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series that we've titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. And it's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org. We'll get you there much faster. Moving on to Give 20, this is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians today are struggling to make time to study God's Word, and maybe they're feeling guilty that they aren't often able to do that. We all know studying the Word of God is vital to our spiritual growth, yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. That's why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's word. By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute, every cent, will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. And since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax deductible. To join our Give 20 initiative, visit 20mbs.org and just click donate. And finally, 20 Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating Christians in preparation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you like what you heard today and want to get deeper into God's Word, we strongly recommend you visit the website of Mysteries of the Kingdom, MOTK.org. Yes, these radio studies are just 20 minutes. 
but our MOTK lessons last as long as needed to fully understand whatever passage of scripture we're studying. If you're interested in learning more about what you heard today, you'll definitely want to check out our in-depth, multi-part studies, which are available for free at MOTK.org. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.